0: Welcome to That Said. I'm Michael Zeldin. In today's episode, I continue my conversation with Jason Miller, CEO of Getter, who also served as the chief spokesman for Donald Trump's 2016 presidential campaign and former President Trump's post-presidential transition. Our discussion topics include the 2020 presidential election, the big lie, and the events of January 6th at the US Capitol. Jason, welcome to That Said.
1: Michael, good to be with you.
0: So let's take up the events of 2020, if we can. I'd like to start with the election fraud big lie theory. The former president, in interviews with Michael Wolff, with Carol Lennig, with Philip Rucker, persists in his belief that he lost the election because of massive fraud. He says that notwithstanding his own pollster, uh, Tony Fabrizio, telling him that he lost the election because he was perceived as lacking in honesty and trustworthiness and that he was essentially crushed by disapproval of his handling of the coronavirus. Why does he persist in perpetuating the, the notion that he actually lost this election because of massive voter fraud?
1: Well, I think there are a couple of things. I mean, uh, there are really two parts of this equation here. One is the, the aspect of voter fraud, uh, voting irregularities, things like that, which there have been a number of concerning things that I've seen. Um, just from the, the voting fraud and the irregularities, not enough uh, that I've seen that would go and swing the election. Uh, but when you take a look at, uh, the way that the the voting rules were changed in a way that uh, I believe was unconstitutional, going outside of Article Two and having the states go and actually run their own elections and state legislatures doing it. If a number of these voting rules weren't changed under the guise of COVID to really go and uh, I mean even the Wisconsin four to three Supreme Court decision basically said that we were right, but they just said they're not going to go and disqualify uh, people who voted. Uh, in a way that they believed was legal. However, it, it was changed. Is it the fault of the voters, which is effectively, that's a very shorthand version of what the Wisconsin State Supreme Court said. But if, uh, if many of these laws hadn't been changed under the, the uh, the guise of COVID, and again, as I believe in an illegal fashion, uh, then I think President Trump, uh, wins pretty handily. Uh, but with regard but, to but, the... But,
0: but, but, but let's just stop again, because these laws were enacted by legislatures or proclamation by by Not, not by, in all cases. Governors, not, not in all cases, but I guess fundamentally, the rules were set before the voting began. That's what they said in Pennsylvania. The rules were set. You may not like that we changed the rules. You may think that we changed them because... of of COVID, but we really didn't. We had some ulterior motive, but the rules were set. We all knew this was a nine-inning game, and you got three outs um, per inning. And whoever won, whoever had the more runs at the end of the game won the game. We knew that, and under the rules, former President Trump lost. And yet he says, I didn't lose. I I won, and I'm going to be reinstated in August, another fantasy, I suppose. So i just trying to get at, Jason, understanding the failure to accept the loss. Why not just say, I lost. I didn't like the way I lost, but I lost. And under new rules coming forward in 2024, I will be back, and we'll see how it works out then. Why not? say that?
1: Well, I think he comes at it from a, a different perspective. And as someone who whose name was on the ballot, who was the President of the United States, uh, I think it's pretty clear that he's upset with the uh, the way that, whether it be the way that the rules were changed or what his concerns are with some of the voting fraud irregularities. Uh, but there voting, are... That, just say,
0: Barr, Attorney General Barr said that the Justice Department thoroughly vetted all claims of election fraud allegations and found nothing to them that would change the outcome of the election. There may have been a fraudulent case here or there, but that, yeah, that yeah. there was not systemic fraud that would result in a different outcome.
1: Uh, I'd, I'd push back on that point and say that, um, uh, look, we saw from the, I believe it was the, uh, the U.S. attorney from the Eastern District in uh, in Pennsylvania, I believe it's Bill McSwain. I believe it was a gentleman's name is now running for governor. He said that actually he had a number of concerns that he tried to elevate and tried to raise to Barr's attention, uh, but the intermediaries at the DOJ would never go and share that. Uh, but again, the uh, that would tar- be
0: outcome determinative. That would change the outcome of the vote. But it's uh, but it's
1: again that's an instance. That's one instance because he wrote a letter, uh, after the administration had ended saying that, uh, that's one instance, uh, to point to. I can't speak to instances, uh, in other states or where other U.S. attorneys or other folks had some of these issues. I know there have been continued calls for, uh, whether it be the, the audits or the recounts. <coughs> Excuse me. Or, or things like that, as we're going through a number of these states. Uh, but I think going back to President Trump, I think he's uh, very rightfully frustrated at the way that, uh, as we've seen some of these examples of concerning things. I mean, look at the uh, the drop boxes, for example, in uh, in Georgia. Uh, but it's I, all been
0: I, it's all been litigated, and and it's and and what's interesting to me is it's been litigated in the courts, and judges of of all political stripes have ruled against these theories. And now we're seeing bar associations and courts issuing sanctions. Rudy Giuliani has temporarily lost his bar license. The people who brought the lawsuit alleging election fraud in Colorado have to pay sanctions of the attorney's fees for the other side because the court said there was absolutely no investigation done and the lawsuits were frivolous. So there's nothing in the litigation posture or post-litigation posture that indicates that anything that alleges that there was fraud sufficient to overturn the results of the 2020 election are viable.
1: Well, I'd say uh, putting in a little bit of a a false binary choice in this, uh, and what I mean by that is uh I will say that, uh, say, for example, uh, Georgia, for example, or when you talk about kind of the the bar complaints or uh, people who are being uh, suspended and different things like that, if you go out there and make it essentially an, an unfounded claim that's specific, so obviously we've seen the lawsuits that resulted about people bringing up issues with certain voting machines. And there, there was additional uh, legal action that took place this week. If you're going and pointing at a specific company, Excuse me. And you allege something. You don't have to back it up. That's, as we've seen, generating a a, a lawsuit to go and and get out whether there was a case of, of defamation. If you're raising issues, say, for example, saying that you know, nobody, for example, has been uh, suspended or uh, had their uh, bar license threatened for saying, I'm very concerned about what I saw with the drop boxes in Georgia. Uh, I think the fact that there's no chain of custody records for how they were, uh, how they were conducted for, uh, for how these were actually counted. I'm very concerned there could have been real fraud and real abuse. Uh, especially with some of the anecdotal things that we've seen, we need to have another audit. We need to have another recount. We need to get to the bottom of this. I'm very concerned with it. Nobody's had their bar license suspended for taking issues with, with specific concerns. Now, if you go and say, for example, that, you know, one particular person, uh, did something, uh, that you know, if you knowingly accuse someone of, uh, doing a crime, uh, but there's nothing to go and back it up, uh, then there is obviously, um, uh, there are different legal remedies to come back on that. That's usually the, the courts are pretty clear, uh, when you're accusing someone of a specific crime, when you're talking about your, that you're concerned that crimes are actually happening at a place, uh, then I think that war, that in many cases warrants further investigation. But I think, but it's, uh, but
0: it's been, I guess the point here, and then we, sh- we should move on from this, but the point I think is that all of these matters, generalized concerns about drop box locations or the number of drop boxes or opportunities to vote with extended times or expansion of rights to obtain ballots during COVID. All of that stuff has been litigated, and every court that ruled on it has said that the election was free and fair of fraud that would determine a different outcome than which we have, which is President Biden is President Biden, and Donald Trump is former President Trump. And I guess what I'm saying is this, that Homeland Security says that its data reflects that online calls for violence are increasing because of election fraud and other conspiracy theories about the 2020 election. So these false claims of election fraud and that I'm still the duly elected president or should be the duly elected president have very severe consequences. And Homeland Security is begging people to stop persisting in, in this election fraud lie. And and I guess what I find, Jason, is for a person who purports to be a law and order president, why would he not heed the requests of Homeland Security to stop um, persisting in the big lie and get ready, if he thinks he lost unfairly, to run again and litigate it at the ballot box?
1: Well, a couple of things. I mean, just because the uh, the methods of legal recourse uh, have run their uh, uh have uh, run to an end and there's nowhere else uh to go on this obviously joe biden is uh in the white house he is the president of the united states uh that doesn't mean that someone should be uh, um, uh, should stop being unhappy about it, or that they uh, should stop being uh, frustrated or concerned with the way that votes were were tallied or, or put together. Uh, I do think that it's important when we talk about these efforts uh, from the 2020 election uh, for what's happening after 2020. Now that we're into 2021, I do think most of that energy is better spent on saying, "Okay, let's go at a state by state level, and let's go and fix these voting laws to make sure some of these um, concerns with fraud and regu- irregularities don't happen again. Let's go and fix back some of these um, uh, somewhat careless um, legal changes that were made. I mean, states like Nevada went and did it legally, not not in a way that I liked it, uh, but the state legislature may have been at 4 in the morning with um, uh, the Assembly Bill 4 that they went and, and passed through and said they're just going to send out blanket ballots to everybody. Uh, okay, I don't like it, but they went and did it through the state legislature.
0: Yet the president says he won He won Nevada. He won Nevada overwhelmingly. And here we recognize that the way in which the voting occurred was appropriate. And yet he persists in saying, I lost that state. It's that which I find unhealthy for our democracy, um, dangerous, um, according to Homeland Security. And surprisingly, I think, unhealthy for the
1: president. Why doesn't he just honestly admit defeat? The only thing that I'd, I'd push back on that, Michael, is, you know, we were well into 2017 and 2018 when Hillary Clinton and Nancy Pelosi were still calling President Trump an illegitimate president. And I'm, I'm not doing a, a, a what about is I'm not uh, trying to change. But I'm saying that political figures uh, after losses, uh, they take it very when your name's on the ballot. Um, take it very personally, and I'm not going to uh, tell a, a political figure when they when they should or shouldn't stop being frustrated with how an election turned out. Um, just in the same way that uh, I wasn't uh, saying that um, uh, Hillary Clinton and Nancy Pelosi should be uh, banished or deplatformed in 2017, 2018, when they're saying that President Trump was an illegitimate president. Uh, I, th- I think if President Trump wants to have his, his political opinions uh, as far as the the fraud and irregularities. Uh, from from 2020. Uh, look, nothing's going to change 2020. I mean, Joe Biden's in the White House, uh at least uh, up until uh, Legit- 2024. Legitimately. Um, legitimately. He's in the White House
0: legitimately. I think it's an important word to add to that sentence. He is in the office of the President legitimately. President Trump is former President Trump. He could be, he could have his feelings hurt. He lost because of his handling of the pandemic and, and white flight and other things that Fabrizio outlined in his 79 page post-election post-mortem memo.
1: Uh, I I, I disagree with some of uh, what Tony wrote. I I think that was, um, uh, I think actually part of what, what hamstrung us a little bit in the campaign is uh, it took too long for us to get to our closing message, which was very good, uh, where we cl- we closed very, very uh, uh, rapidly and sharply uh, on getting life back to normal. And I think for too many months, I think everyone was trapped in the economy versus safety uh, to bu- those two buckets, where, of course, there would be more people in that. And uh, look, even uh, Tony, uh, to an extent, um, uh, with the polling, uh, I think got kind of trapped in this false binary choice. Are you on the side of safety or on the side of uh, economic uh, security and growth? And the real answer is that most Americans weren't grown up and saying, I want one or the other. Most Americans were waking up every day saying, I want to get life back to normal. We closed on that message for the last couple of weeks, uh, and I think we did a really good job of it. Uh, you know, 44,000 votes over three states. Uh, so I think we came uh, very close to it, but that uh, I think that... Um, uh, missing that, that, the fact that that was a false binary choice, a false binary, uh, setup. It, it wasn't because the president said a couple of mean tweets or he didn't seem sensitive enough. It's because we were spending too much time, um, uh, appearing, um, to favor, uh, one aspect of the equation when, what Americans wanted. They didn't want some option A or option B. They wanted something completely different, which was, I want to get life back to normal. Um, that, that's ultimately, uh, well, I think we came up uh, just a little bit short, but uh, I think we're going to have to agree to disagree to some of the other part. I mean, just in the same way that uh, we're, we're not going to cancel uh, Hillary or, or Nancy Pelosi um, uh, after the 2016 uh, election of president Trump wants to have his political viewpoints and, and share those, uh, then I, th- I think he should be welcome to.
0: Well, I think it's dangerous uh, for the country, for him to persist in maintaining that he lost. I think what you just said is exactly right. You lost, um, because your messaging was, was not good. You may have closed better, but in the end, you lost. You just lost. That happens in, in elections. I ask Al Gore, you know, th- things happen and you have to say, I lost and I, I'll be, if you're Richard Nixon, I, I will be back. But I think that, I think it's time for him to, to acknowledge that he lost and then make his decision about what he wants to do. In the in the future, do you do you disagree? I mean, fundamentally, do you disagree with that point?
1: We'll we'll uh, we'll agree to to disagree on some of this. I don't think it's quite as as simple as. Um, I think the president should be more than welcome to uh, talk about how he's still concerned with the 2020 election, how it played out. Um, but I do think that it will be more effective as he turns that and says, OK, here are the changes need to be made at state legislatures. Here's what we need to do going into 2022 or 2024. Otherwise, the exact same thing is going to happen again. I do think that would be a more effective uh, use of his time and energy as he talks about the messaging going forward. Uh, but, you know, going back to what I said earlier, um, uh, politicians since the, the beginning of time, uh, have voiced their frustrations following losses, uh, uh, at the, at the ballot box, uh, and just as we saw four years earlier, just as we see now, uh, just as we'll see what happens after uh, somebody wins and somebody loses in 2024.
0: Yeah. We'll see. The, the other thing related to the election fraud theory that I want to talk about a bit is that which has come up recently in the house oversight. Committee where we saw evidence that the president, former President Trump, on December 27th, was saying to Acting Attorney General Rosen that all he needed him to say was the election was corrupt and then leave the rest to me and the R congressman. Now, Barr had told the president that the election was not corrupt. Long before that. And here is the president as late as December 27th saying, just say the election is corrupt and leave the rest to me. Similar in a way to the conversation between the president and the elected officials in the state of Georgia. Just find me these votes and sort of we'll take it from here. That to me is very, as a lawyer, very troubling, Jason. It smacks of all sorts of election interference behavior, and I was wondering what you can tell us. Your thinking is about this evidence.
1: Well, I think when you're you're talking after the fact of saying uh, I've heard that there are these um, uh, these examples of um, uh, foul play at the ballot box and some of these these other things are fraud, abuse, mismanagement, uh, however you want to go and describe it. Um, dead people voting, a number of other uh, different concerns that are happening, saying, hey, we need to go and look into this, make sure that there wasn't uh, there wasn't foul play that went into I mean, uh, I think but, that's... But that's
0: what, that's what he asked. I'm sorry to interrupt. That's what he asked Barr. And Barr issued a, a memo to prosecutors, which was um, an expansion of what is typically done in the Justice Department, which was to allow them to look at election fraud allegations close to the election and including the election and post the election in ways that they don't normally do. So the president said to Barr, I want you to be mindful of this and I want you to investigate it. And uh, the and the attorney general did do that. And he reported back to the president before December 27th that there was no fraud that would change the outcome of the election And uh, we understand from uh, reporting that Chris Christie and Pat Cipollone uh, and others said the same thing. They saw no evidence of this. And yet we see this testimony saying December 27th, after he's been informed by his attorney general and his White House counsel that there was no fraud that would change the outcome of this election, he is saying to the acting attorney general, really in violation of White House DOJ communication protocols, Essentially, just say it was corrupt and leave the rest to me and the R congressman. We'll take it from here. I don't know how you accept that as appropriate behavior.
1: Well, uh, and again, uh, having not been in on that conversation and seeing it secondhand, I know a lot of times uh, uh, people's memories are the way that they uh, describe certain conversations, uh, even if there's not an intention uh, of framing it a certain way, gets ended framing up a a, a certain way. Uh, but I think President Trump would have very much been within his boundaries, within his rights to say, I'm very concerned about the reports and the things that I've seen. I know what you said about Barr, but as I, I said before, at least one former U.S. attorney said that they had tried to raise a number of concerns. I'm not saying it would have swung the state of Pennsylvania, uh, but if that's just the one case that we know about, where there are other cases, where there are other things to be concerned about, uh, certainly, President Trump would have heard about more examples, more cases uh, than I probably would have. I wasn't on the uh, the election integrity team. or I'm not part of his, his legal team, um, with the exception of the, the impeachment defense, the second impeachment defense effort, uh, which I led. Uh, but the uh, when we're talking about his right and his ability to go and say, hey, there's a foul play here. I'm concerned that there's foul play. We need to look into it." Um, is President Trump going to talk differently than a lot of other politicians? Yeah, uh, we've seen that before. But unless I have a recording, I know exactly everything that was said in that conversation. Uh, I don't think it would be appropriate for me to go and weigh it on and say that, um, that one person was right or one person is wrong. Um, that's just my opinion.
0: The problem with it, and again, we'll move on, because I feel like we're going to agree to disagree. Again, the problem is if the testimony is correct, where he is indicating to the Justice Department, in in the communication channel, that really shouldn't be taking place, in my view. But he's saying, just say it was corrupt, and I, from a public relations standpoint, will take it from there. That's all I need you to say. Say it's corrupt, and then... I and the our, uh Congressman, Republican Congressman, will have the basis to continue to argue this false election fraud claim is, I think, interfering in an election in a way that is completely inappropriate, if not potentially illegal.
1: So now when you say, uh, the election interference, I mean, at this point, this is well after the election and this is almost, right. uh, this is a month and a half, almost two months after. So when you talk about election interference, I'm, I'm not sure if that's necessarily the, uh, the right terminology, uh, to go well, and it, use since it's. I,
0: I mean, I mean by election interference, interfering with the acceptance of the fact that the results of the election were, were, uh, honest and that Joe Biden was so, going I mean, to become the president.
1: He was he was uh, agree or disagree. He was disputing the outcome of the election. Uh, but I I think disputing an outcome of election, uh, in my opinion, is different than election interference, in my opinion, um, especially with with regard to, say, the um, uh, the DOJ. I mean, what would be the um, I mean, DOJ would obviously go and look into things, but then it would have to be incorrect if I'm wrong. Uh, it'd have to be at a, a state level or uh, the state level where any action would be taken on such a matter because uh, elections are ultimately conducted by the states. Uh, so the, at the DOJ level, yeah, you might be looking into certain crimes and certain things rise to, uh, to federal levels. But I, I guess I, I guess we're going to agree, disagree on, on a lot of this. Uh, but I think just kind of the, the overall framing, uh, I'm not sure it's uh, necessarily that, um, uh, the same construct that I would use.
0: Yes, and I'm not saying election interference in the sense of prohibiting people or interfering with their right to vote, but it is, as in the case of Georgia, uh, it, election interference, that's under investigation, election interference in respect of the certification of of the vote, depriving the voters of the state of Georgia to have the outcome of their votes properly tabulated certified and 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 put forward so when you say just say there's fraud or just find me votes that's what i'm talking about in in, in the in election interference election outcome interference not election voting interference i, I don't want to get hung up on the words i'm just saying what you understand to be true which is i'm talking about after the fact, there seems to have been a pressure campaign orchestrated by the White House against Justice Department officials A.G. Rosen, acting A.G. Rosen, and the state of Georgia, um, which is what I'm asking you to opine on, because it seems to me that a person like you who have been around a lot of elections has to know that when the vote is counted, as it was here, and it's litigated, and it's certified, It's done. And you accept that you lost. You say you lost. And then you say, we're going to move forward from here.
1: Yes. Although, uh, you know, this uh, this is an an absolute whataboutism. Um, I'm old enough to remember uh, after George W. Bush won, um, thanks with a little help from uh, the U.S. Supreme Court, go back to uh, uh, the 2000 election where. Um uh, I mean for for years, uh, there were there were complaints or saying that it was uh, that there was foul play, that there were um, uh, that there was uh, you know rigging or, or different things like that. Not,
0: but not from not from Al Gore. From Al Gore, we heard only that I was disappointed to lose. I'm concerned about the manner in which I lost, but I lost, and George W. Bush is the duly elected president and I support the orderly transition of power, and it's time, America, to move on. And, and, he there'll, be an election, absolut- and there'll be elections in, in four years, and you can uh, express your dissatisfaction one way or the other at the polls. Why don't we have that
1: coming from the
0: former president?
1: And Al Gore was slaughtered. By his own people, by Democrats, and you know, why did you roll over and play dead so quickly? Uh, you know, but I, he I, did.
0: But he did. The point is, he did. He did. He rolled over and played dead. If that's the way you want to describe it, he, he accepted the outcome of the election because he thought it was in the best interests of the country to do so. And I guess what I'm asking over and over is, why doesn't the former president act in the best interests of the country and? It, it, essentially acknowledge that he lost. He was unhappy with his loss, but we'll see. We may not, this may not be the end of him. Warren, if you're his political so. advisor, wouldn't you be telling him that to say, look, I know you're unhappy. Let's put this behind us and let's start ramping up for the future. Let's figure out how we can get back our coalition from 2016 um, and not further alienate um, our uh, prospective voters by persisting in this false narrative that I lost by fraud.
1: Well, he clearly believes that by continuing to bring up the 2020 election, uh, that that is that will remind people about the the frustration and the anger that they saw coming out of um, what happened with the election. And that will uh, keep the the pressure we go to the midterms in 2024 to make sure that type of thing doesn't happen again. Uh, I uh, have, have already said on here that I think it's probably more effective at this point to spend the time saying here's how we're going to go and change uh, some of these state rules um, going into the midterms even 2024 to make sure that uh, these uh, under the guise of I did the for folks listening I did kind of the, the air quotes uh, under the guise of COVID we're going to go and change these certain uh, voting rules um, uh, to go and loosen up some of the uh, some of the the voting qualifications and measures, uh, I do think it'd probably be a more effective use of the time to go and focus on that, but president trump's got he 's got his own style, and I think he has a a right to say that just in, in the same way that he was criticized in the first couple of few years of his administration and uh, politicians uh, being upset following an election um, uh, that 's been going on since uh, the very first election in, in world history
0: okay let's move to January 6th, when you talk about people who are un- unhappy with the outcome of an election, which is, can I, is it okay to ask you where you were January
1: 6th? Yeah, so January 6th, and, you know, for the, um, for all these post-presidency books uh, that have come out, um, I actually think the person who probably uh, did the best job of talking through January 6th uh, was Michael Wolf in his book Landslide. Um, uh, I, I chatted with all the authors, but I obviously chatted with Wolf and with Phil Rucker and Carol and I spoke with Mike Bender. That was my job to go and speak with the people who are, uh, who are doing these books. Um, but, you know, the thought, uh, going into January 6th, I mean, the only thing that, um, uh, that we were, uh, that we were thinking about was what was going to happen, uh, when, uh, Mike Pence went up there at one o'clock, um, on Wednesday the 6th. Excuse me, started counting the the electoral uh, ballots and what would happen when there were when there were protests or there were challenges and uh, they go and and split off to their respective chambers to go and, and have these debates. The uh, the rally itself, I remember I spoke with the president that morning and he's asking what I thought about uh, uh, the crowd. And uh, if I was going uh, and I turned on the TV, I saw on Fox News, I think that Pete Seth, or someone like that out there, maybe interviewing people uh, out on the mall and looked to be a huge crowd, maybe 30, 40, 50,000 people, at least um, early on. Uh, so it looks like a big crowd. But nope, I'll just be watching it here from home. And then I have a couple of interviews lined up this afternoon and I'll just be monitoring what's happening in the Capitol. As far as for the the president 's uh team there was uh, there was no discussion um, not even a not even a passing thought about any aspect of a um, uh, protest or any sort of unrest uh, at the capitol is very much a i think for most people who were there uh, at on the ellipse that day even uh, peaceful uh, peaceful protesters who were there i think it was uh, in many ways kind of like the um, at least for the it was the last uh, the last concert, uh, for the Beatles, for example, the last, the last show for Led Zeppelin. Hey, this is the last time he'll be doing one of these big rallies while well, he's president. Maybe he comes back in the future. Maybe he doesn't. Uh, we're going to have this big rally. Pence is going to go uh, do his thing and then, um, they'll count it. And then ultimately, uh, Biden will be, uh, it'll be official with the electoral ballots, uh, having all been counted. Um, it'll, it'll be, uh, uh, the certification will then be complete. Uh, but obviously right, then right, what, right, yeah.
0: right, just one second, because, I find this interesting. The big signs on the stage where Trump, Giuliani, and others spoke on January 6th read Save America March. So clearly a march of some kind was contemplated beforehand. Also, the president in his speech said, we're going to walk down Pennsylvania Avenue, and we're going to the Capitol, and we're going to try and give our Republicans the kind of pride and boldness they need to take our country back. Giuliani, in his speech, after falsely claiming that Pence had the constitutional power to stop the certification, told the crowd, let's have trial by fire. The crowd marches down to the Capitol with signs that say, stop the steal. How is it possible to believe that there wasn't an ongoing effort by these people to prevent The certification, the whole purpose it seemed to me of the march was to prevent the certification. So how can one? I think it, well, a
1: couple, couple things. Um, I mean, if you're going back up here, the, you know, on that day on the sixth, you know, there were a number of different, uh, I went back and looked at one point. There were a number of different, uh, uh, permits that have been pulled or people said they were going to have, you know, three or four of these different demonstrations. But by the time it got to that morning, again, even that rally that was happening on the six on the ellipse, uh, which is uh, right there on the kind of the, the south lawn uh, of the White House. Uh, kind of right across the street from the uh, from the National Mall, that was even just essentially kind of a, a pregame event before the counting up at the Capitol. I mean, there was. Uh, there was no effort with the president's team or no knowledge that there was some grander protest or demonstration that was happening at the, the Capitol. I mean, admittedly, um, uh, I told Wolf for his book that I didn't even read the president's speech, uh, for, uh, for the rally on January 6th because it was kind of the, uh, knew what was going to happen. It seemed to largely be the, the greatest hits. And then we'd watch and see what happens when, um, when one o'clock started and they start actually counting through the, um, the ballots on a state by state basis. Um, but with regard to uh, any uh, notion of a protest or, or things like that, until it actually, uh, I mean, until the president said, hey, and I'm going to march down there with you, uh, which wasn't in his speech. He ad-libbed and, and put that in there, obviously did not march with them. Uh, I didn't even know that was a thing. And that's all my focus on what was going to happen inside the Capitol, uh, what was going on. And so obviously then saw images a little bit later, obviously uh, some um, uh, a much different scenario ended up. Uh, Playing out at the Capitol, uh, but that, that just simply wasn't something that the president's team was, uh, was discussing or, or, uh, have anything to do or any part of any aspect of, uh, of what happened outside or what started outside the Capitol and then, then end up, uh, tragically inside. Um, that just wasn't something that was even on, on the radar screen. There, number one, there weren't that many people, uh, who were still around, uh, and the focus really on what was going to happen when they start counting these electoral ballots.
0: I suppose, Jason, what I have trouble believing is not – I'm not disbelieving you. I guess what I have trouble understanding is there was a rally. The rally was essentially to stop the steal. They were – stop the steal. Let me just jump
1: right. real quick, and I don't want to – but I – the – the the point of the the reason why uh, look and i've spoke i've spoken with a number of people who were there that day and to a person the reason why everyone was coming in is because they uh, everyone that, who I spoke with, obviously by no means can I, I say that I spoke with everyone. And, um, the people who, whether it was, uh, beforehand or afterwards, it was, like I said, it was people coming in. It was kind of like Elvis's last show that he was doing at the, uh, at the ellipse, uh, or at the, uh, at the ca- or excuse me, at the, um, uh, the White House there. And they wanted to come in and be a part of that. And we kind of the, uh, you know, we, uh, but they wanted, guys-
0: they wanted to come, they wanted to come in to see, Elvis's last show with Bear Spray and with Ties. I mean, I, I'm saying, is but that... Michael,
1: that's uh, hold on, just real quick. But the, but the one thing again, let's. And I realize um, uh, from your perspective, just uh, you're looking at from, you know, you watch TV, saw the media reports, so I'm telling you from the, uh, from the inside, from in the Trump world the people who are working for him at the time or supporters and uh, active with him, you know, there were no instances, I mean, there were no weapons, for example, that were confiscated at the ellipse. Uh, there was no one who uh, went in like, uh oh, you know, this is a, a big, massive concern. You know, why are you doing now? Were there some clearly some bad actors and some knuckleheads uh, who went up to the, uh, went of the capital and, and cause some serious damage and, and cause some real problems? Absolutely. And people who are doing that really missed the boat on everything that President Trump was about. Uh, I mean, even the fact in his speech, when he said peacefully and, and patriotically, um, I mean, he would, uh, he would, and very clear, you know, I spoke to him that morning and I spoke with him that evening, and it was very clear that he recognized the, the severity of the situation. And one of the things he said to me was, uh, Jace, I even I said peacefully and patriotically, why would, why do people go and, and be violent on anything? Why would they go and, uh, that's not what we're about. I mean, we spent all of last summer uh, saying that the, uh, the BLM idiots shouldn't be out there riding and protesting. And toppling statues and uh, and doing things like that, and so uh, I, I think there, there definitely were two uh, two distinct universes here. There were people who went to January sixth for the uh, uh, proverbial Elvis's last show, and they want to see the uh, the speech at the Ellipse, and most of those people then went home or then they left. Uh, there were some people who never even made it to the lips who went to the Capitol or some people who uh, went up there afterwards who clearly did some things that they shouldn't have. And they're going to have some uh, there are going to be some legal ramifications as 500 or so people are already finding out. Uh, but as far as the, the president, his team, um, any of the thought, whether it be uh, directly or indirectly, uh the the concept even the notion that there would have been that something that would have played out of the capital the way that it did uh never would have been something that that anyone uh would have condoned or thought was okay in in any way shape or form and again you know we spent i think 40 million bucks just in the month of of July of last year saying uh, we're the party of law and order that lawlessness is is not acceptable
0: i i suppose jason <sighs> my, my problem with your answer is that the speeches were incredibly incendiary um, on, on the ellipse. And the purpose of the march to the Capitol and the purpose of the rally really was to stop the steal. And so when you have a rally that's a sort of a stop the steal and you have incendiary speeches like um, Giuliani's and and even the president's and then to say, well, we had no expectation or no anticipation or no understanding that this would result in what occurred on January 6th is hard for me to accept.
1: Because I think you're I think you're putting a, uh, a different outcome variable uh, is the the desired goal here. And so the the desired outcome variable, and again, I can uh, speak for um, or having been someone who, who spoke on the behalf of the president, uh, obviously I can't, um, or I probably shouldn't speak on behalf of, of everybody who was speaking on that day because I have no idea what their thought process motivation, but I know with regard to the president and key members of his team, um, the by participating in the rally, the goal was to uh, send the uh, the vocal message uh, to the uh, the Capitol Hill legislators to say, you know what, uh, we've seen enough with the um, the fraud and the abuse and the concerns with the election. Let's send these uh, some of these disputed um, electoral ballots back to the states to have them do audits or have them do reviews um, before anything is finalized in advance of January twentieth on inauguration day. Uh, that was the when you talk about the the desired outcome that was the desired outcome. At no point in any of that did I ever hear, did I ever pick up on, uh, was there even the, the slightest intonation that the desired outcome was some aspect of, of violence or destruction uh, or uh, some kind of uh, third world nonsense, which is basically um, uh, what we saw from, from some of these bad actors on January 6th. And so uh, when you talk about the uh, the Again, the desired outcome is that uh, more legislators would have said, "I, I just we got to send the, we got to send these back to the states. Um, no part of that other activity has anything to do uh, with getting to the what was actually the the desired outcome
0: yeah the desired outcome was to stop the certification of the election. that was what the desired uh, but out- but
1: the desired right. but the desired outcome was to to send it back to the states uh, for their review. Um, it's not as though there was going to be some kind of, that, uh, that there was, it, uh, there was no desire, uh, uh, for example, that anything that was going to be done to Capitol that day would have just ended it all. I mean, that, uh, um, that's not the, the way that it works. That's not the right. uh, If, if it's, if they told Arizona, for example, uh, we're concerned with everything we've seen in, in Maricopa County. You got to send these back, uh, have the state legislatures go and vote on it. Um, whether they conduct an audit, conduct a review and then come back uh that would have been the goal but there was no uh, but, n- nothing nothing would have happened at the capitol that day to just uh, magically stop it i mean there would have been obviously next steps uh and procedures that it would have went to
0: yeah i guess the to tie in the first part of our election conversation when you falsely claim that you lost by fraud when you initiate a rally the theme of which is to stop the steal and Prevent the certification. And when you ask the vice president of the United States to act beyond his constitutional powers, it seems to me, and you have incendiary speeches prior to, to that, to not anticipate the possibility that this would result in something along the lines of what we saw on January 6th strikes me as naive at best. Uh, disingenuous.
1: So I, I won't uh, look. I I, I won't uh, com- completely disagree with you on that, but I would, I would expand it out and say that um, there was a complete systemic failure on this. Uh, there was a, a failure at uh, at every level. I mean, as we've seen the the reports come out about some of the. <clears throat> some of the, the bad actors and what they were planning well in advance uh of those speeches. Uh as we saw the uh and again I'm not trying to, to minimize or dismiss the severity of what we saw uh actually at the Capitol. But for example the uh whoever went and planted those bombs outside of the DNC and the RNC certainly wasn't motivated by a speech or what they saw down at, at the the ellipse. Uh I think from But they the well th-
0: could have been I guess my point Jason is they well could have been Inspired by the months long effort to discredit the election, to constantly call it fraud in the weeks and months that led to the January 6th events, to say that they're not, they may not be a relationship between them. I I find uh, surprising that you would think that they just appeared out of the blue unconnected to the prior months' claims of, of fraud and the, yeah, and, need, and, I'm and the need to stop stop the steal and, and force <laughs> Michael Pence to, to do something that he had no constitutional power. I mean, people were showing up at the Ellipse with hang Mike Pence posters, and the president, prior to the January 6th events, was saying that in public that Mike Pence had the power to do something that he had no power to do. Well, you can't. Now, I you never, can't, I never saw these things.
1: I never saw a hang Mike Pence poster uh, at the ellipse. If you say that you saw one at the ellipse, uh, I never saw that. That's not what um, uh, it, it looked, uh, the actual ellipse. And again, separating out the ellipse from the uh, from the Capitol, uh, just I've, I've heard some pretty horrific stories of people who showed up to the um, showed up to the rally and listened to the speech of the ellipse and then went home, uh, who never went anywhere, never even went within a, a couple of miles um, of the Capitol, which is about the which is about the actually I guess it's about a mile and a half, uh, which is the distance uh, between the the ellipse and the U.S. Capitol Uh had their lives completely turned upside down. Uh, I'm not going to pretend to get inside of, uh, uh, for example, whoever went and, and planted some bomb outside the RNC or DNC uh, the night before. I, I don't. That's not how I think. I won't even pretend to do that. My broader point, excuse me, was that there is a uh clearly a systemic failure. Whether it be a DHS, whether it be a Capitol Police, whether it be a Metro Police, whether it be it, uh, it, it, any of the folks who had um, anything to do with the, the permit granting uh, or what was going on, uh, what was allowed at the Capitol, what wasn't. Uh, clearly there are a lot of things, uh, that were missed. I think that were problematic. Um, you know, the, the early videos, even that we saw of January 6th, uh, you had people who, um, hearing different reports of some people that were let in, obviously people who forced their way in or did anything violent, uh, or smashing or threatening. Uh, there's no place for that. And tragically, uh, there was, uh, there, uh, one person in particular, uh, who lost their life. There's some other people who are traumatized by the events and, and later took their own life. Um, uh, clearly, that's a, uh, something like that should should never happen. I guess the point that I'm trying to make is, I think that it's I think it's too far to say that any of the um, any of the events from the speeches. Um, on, on that day, it contributed to anything, in my opinion, up at the Capitol, um, that there was nobody on President Trump's team or within his orbit, uh, that would ever want any aspect of, of violence or, or behavior like that, uh, for the simple fact that it'd blow back directly on them. And that's not, nobody wants one of their, uh, I mean, for many people, tragically, uh, the images of January 6th will be what they always remember about the, the Trump administration. And as someone who thinks President Trump was a, a very effective, uh, president in his, in his first term and who hopes that he does come back at some point in the future, uh, that that really breaks my heart. I think he was a, a fantastic leader. And it, it kills me that uh, for many people, January 6th will be the, the lasting legacy of his administration. And I hope that over time, I think some of that will change back to some of the, the accomplishments uh, that he had. Uh, but for many, it might not. That might be too close to home. Um, but it's uh, uh but the point being is that uh, there was no there was no desire uh by anyone on the president 's team to see something like that, nor was there any any planning or strategy uh toward that end to uh, for any kind of uh a, a physical confrontation or um, uh unruly behavior uh, that day.
0: I hear you Jason, but I think there was a causal connection between the rally and all that led up to it and the insurrection itself. I'd like to talk about two other things related to, to January 6th, if we, if we can. The, the first thing that I want to ask you about on January 6th is there's been a lot of reporting that from the time that the, uh, insurrectionists or people at the Capitol, whatever we want to call them, sort of breached the Capitol perimeter, that people were Calling the White House to get the president to act to bring out the National Guard or otherwise deploy the necessary forces to hold back these people. And the reporting is that for two hours, the president was essentially missing in action, that Ivanka Trump was begging him to call it off and Mark Meadows, his chief of staff, was calling him to call it off, and others similarly. And he was essentially in the dining room off of the Oval Office, watching television, and was not moved for a two-hour period to stop it. Whether he anticipated it or wanted it is different than once it gets started, the the delay in stopping it is inexplicable to me. And I was wondering if you could shed light on what was going on in those two hours when the president was, in my words, missing in action.
1: So a couple of things. So I was not at the White House that day. I was at home and then went over to the, the campaign office or what was still the campaign office there in Roslyn. So I live in Arlington, uh, Virginia, and Roslyn is, is a neighborhood within Arlington about about 10, 12 minutes away from my house. And so, during that stretch kind of in that uh that uh, two to three range is when uh, I was getting ready to go over I had some some interviews that were planned uh and then driving over to the uh, to the campaign office, when I go over there somewhere in a, kind of that three three thirty range, I think it was it was somewhere roughly in there uh, I did call uh Mark Meadows, got him on the phone. Um, and made sure he knew what kind of the, the outside media coverage looked like and what was going on um, and uh, began to discuss with them, uh, hey, what's, you know, what's happening, what's going on. He said, look, there are a number of things that are in play uh, to go and deal with this. Uh, since you're outside the White House, uh, you're not um, uh, an official White House staffer. I can't go and explain to you everything that's going on, but uh, uh, fully aware of, of what the coverage uh, is and what's what's happening. And uh, uh, so, uh, you know, uh, is a good call, but, you know, I can't say what else is happening. Um, I didn't then speak with uh, the president until later uh, that evening. So as far as the uh, I was not with him uh, at the White House during that stretch, I can't necessarily go and speak to it. Now, I would say the one thing, the only thing I'd I'd push back a little bit, Michael, is the um, I don't think that fundamentally if uh, say the uh, I think that the video that he put out, I think, was somewhere in the four o'clock range, um, I think was when when he put something out if that happens 45 minutes or an hour earlier or something in that range in my opinion i don't think that fundamentally um i don't think that fundamentally changes uh what happened on that day uh i think that's uh, uh in my opinion uh, you know would it have been better if you put that um uh, put out a statement a little bit earlier of course do i think it fundamentally would have changed the dynamics of that day uh, i don't believe so
0: yeah i guess my view is jason that as soon as that perimeter is breached The National Guard should have been called out immediately. It wasn't until two hours and Pence essentially issued the order that this delay and then this statement, which says, and I'm sure I knew that you weren't there because I don't believe that you would have countenanced a statement that says at the end of the insurrection, we love you. Go home would have been your your. Your message. So you have a two hour delay. People are imploring the president to call the national guard and to act. No action is taken. Then what happens is this statement comes out where he says, go home. I love you. I don't see that as being acceptable, nor do I see it as <laughs> something that you as a communications person would have advised as the, the the course to follow from 2 o'clock to, till the issuance of that statement at 4 o'clock.
1: Yeah, you know, one of the, the tough things on this, obviously I'm an uh, unabashed supporter of President Trump, someone who worked for him on both presidential campaigns and even after he left office, uh, not being inside the White House on that day, uh, it's always tough to, uh, you get bits and pieces of what, uh, you know, hear this from a media report, this from someone who's there, um, it's, it's really tough to put together a, a complete picture. Um, you know, I, I, know for myself, the first couple of phone calls that I got in say the two o'clock hour, uh, of people saying that, uh, things are turned pretty ugly at the Capitol, uh, my initial reaction was a pushback like, well, I'm not seeing it. I flipped around. I looked at Fox News. I looked at CNN, looked at MSNBC, uh, looked at Newsmax, looked at OAN, kind of went around the dial to all the different networks and everything looked like it was people slowly and methodically walking through the Capitol. Keep in mind, a lot of these these images, a lot of the. Um, uh, what turned out to be some of the, the more violent scenes that happened at the Capitol that day. A lot of those images didn't come out until later, whether it be later that day, uh, or even much later after the fact. I think now we look back and we've seen whether we've gone through, uh, an impeachment trial, for an example, where many of these videos were played over and over. We've had a number of these, uh, you know, Netflix specials or different ABC specials or things like that, where people have said, here are the montages of these images. The montages for the most part that were being played in that two to for Stretch uh, were not the montages that we see now. And so... No, but, uh,
0: but, but let me just say that the Capitol Police, the Metropolitan Police were saying in telephone calls to the Department of Defense and among themselves that we need help. So whether or not there was uh, pictures on the TV, the police, Capitol and otherwise, were begging for help. And as I said, the reporting is that Meadows and Ivanka and Lindsey Graham and even McCarthy were begging the president to say something and ask these people to stand down or call out the National Guard because there's a a lag between the order and the deployment. None of it was happening. It was just (laughs) silent.
1: You know, although, uh, again, not being there, not being on the inside, some of that I can't speak to. Uh, I I do know that the National Guard have been offered up in advance for the simple fact that there were concerns that um, uh, could there be the uh, I mean keep in mind the uh, that rally was on the uh, Wednesday, the sixth, but on that Friday before there were even local news reports that uh, some of the the proud boys uh, characters were in town, and they were where there would be the proud boys versus Antifa showdowns after dark uh, downtown, similar to how they were after the rally in december twelfth and I know that the National Guard had been offered up. Uh, in advance of January 6th for the specific concern that could the Proud Boys and Antifa folks decide to have another rumble outside the Hotel Harrington uh, after dark, potentially even that evening. And my understanding is that that was rejected uh, that, by, by Merrill Bowser.
0: But that's a point that's completely different from just but, like...
1: Uh, but, but hold on, but I'll, I, I got to push back on this one point uh, for the simple fact that part of the reason why they were even able – the National Guard was even able to get there as soon as they did – is I know this for a fact from having talked with Mark Meadows, is because even though Bowser had rejected the help when it came to the National Guard, they had the National Guard positioned nearby. That's what they were able to move in as quickly as they did once they ultimately were called. That's my understanding. Again, I'm getting that information secondhand, and I have gotten it secondhand from a number of places. But if President Trump and his administration had not uh, gone and initiated that, then they wouldn't have been in position ready to get in as soon as they did. So uh, it, it's a little, little tough for me. Kind of on the the outside uh, to go and, and point fingers and say the administration what could have been done different what should have been done different uh, when I wasn't on the inside that day and and I just didn't have any visibility uh, to uh, to the afternoon I spoke to the president in the morning I spoke to them that evening and um, and that was that.
0: You and I have a different understanding about any orders for the National Guard to be ready the morning of January sixth, but we'll have to wait and see how the evidence is developed. The next question I want to ask you is about reporting by Carol Lennig and Phil Rucker that the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, Mark Milley, said on the record that he feared that President Trump was planning a coup. He described it as a Reichstag moment, a reference to Hitler's seizure of power. Were his fears well-founded?
1: No, not at all. And I think, uh, personally, I think uh, General Milley, uh, I, I think is a, a major league clown i don 't think he 's uh, someone who really has credibility here. I think that he has brought a whole new level of politicizing uh, the role of the military in a way that's uh, I, I think is uh, we may never even have seen before I mean the way that he 's gone and uh, weighed in uh, first of all there 's not a book interview um, that uh, the most dangerous place you could be in Washington is get between him and a reporter to go and try to hype himself up politically uh, that he was the uh, the great Jamie, you're the one person who saw what could have gone wrong on, on January 6th. But his comments about that never saw. Uh, I think he's wrong on critical race theory. I think he's wrong when it comes to the concern of China. Uh, he doesn't think China uh, is a, a major concern in the South China Sea. I think Millie is uh, Millie is just, a, look, I don't know if he wants the MSNBC contract. I don't know if he wants the CNN contract. Uh, he clearly doesn't want to be in the military anymore. He wants to be a political pundit. And I think he's a, a pretty poor one at that. And so I think he was wrong about January 6th. I think General Milley is not only wrong about just about everything, I am very concerned about the long term repercussions of someone who's the, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs uh, effectively signaling that it's okay. Uh, signaling to people who are active duty to go and voice themselves in such a political fashion. I mean, Michael, you're someone who comes from a uh, a proud background of law enforcement uh, and you know that there are some some pretty bright lines as someone who's in law enforcement or in the military uh, where you're not supposed to be out expressing political opinion that you need to have that uh, uh, very much uh, maintain that that independent vibe. And I think that Millie has smashed that. Uh, I think the fact that he was, and the one thing I'll say also, and then I'll quit beating up on Milley, or at least uh, right now, I'll, go, I'll you know, go home and beat up on him some more, um, or on social media. I'll go and get her. I'll criticize uh, General Milley. Uh, but the fact that he was given some of these interviews while President Trump was still uh, in office, uh, I think is, uh, is unconscionable. So other than that, I don't have any opinions about General Milley.
0: I guess the thing about the politicalization of military that comes to mind is the march across Lafayette Square for the photo op at the church where um, the defense secretary and the Joint Chiefs of Staff and the president and the attorney general are walking across the recently cleared out peaceful protesters. It seems to me that that is a politicalization of the military by the president. And so one has to bear the burden of that responsibility too.
1: Although I, I would say that the uh, department of the interior inspector general did clear the white house of any um, political aspect of the, the clearing out of the park. Uh, and so uh, they, they, they were cleared in the, in the IG report. So I would, um, I, I would, I would give them the benefit of the doubt on that part. And uh, look, if someone did not to on go-
0: but not on the, not. Not on the walk across that cleared out park. My question is, you said that Millie has politicized the military in a way that's not acceptable to you. What I say to you in response is that the president in that walk across Lafayette Park with the secretary of defense, with the joint chiefs of staff, with the attorney general, politicized the military and the justice department in ways that I've not seen in my lifetime.
1: I uh, will. There'll be another one. We'll agree to disagree with. I didn't see that as a uh, politicizing uh, the DOJ or the military. Uh, so that is, is very much a signal that we're going to respect law and order uh, that we're going to make sure that uh, showing that life is going to get back to normal here. Uh, they're not going to allow this to uh, continue. Excuse me, not going to allow this type of unruly behavior, uh, to completely upend, uh, our government being able to, uh, perform efficiently and effectively. So I think we just will see this one a little different.
0: Yeah. The, the thing I would end this with is saying that in his on the record interview with Carol and, um, and Phil in I can only I can fix it. President Trump said that one of the, the only regret that he had in the, in, of his administration was that he didn't call out the active military to stop the protests in Seattle and Portland and Minneapolis and, and in DC, invoke the insurrection act, which I think would have been an incredibly political use of the military because this was not an insurrection. This was the type of first amendment protest and speech that you and Getter and I perhaps all agree should go unfettered.
1: But he ended up not calling them out, not uh, using the, the Insurrection Act. And so it's, uh, you know, the, a l- little bit of a, a what-if scenario, but ended up not happening. So I don't know how, how uh, efficient it is to spend the time uh, diving into that, but, uh, look, it's clearly, uh, President Trump, I was with him in a lot of meetings where he'd voice his frustration at the DOJ and didn't understand why, uh, Bill Barr and the rest of the DOJ were asleep with the switch while they're allowing, um, so many of these protests, whether it be the CHAZ district, uh, which actually I was born in the CHAZ district. So maybe I could have gone back as like the warlord of the CHAZ. I was born at the group health hospital on Capitol Hill in uh, in Seattle, um, or some of the um, wheelers um, uh, wild ineffectiveness uh is the mayor of Portland. Uh even some of what we saw from I believe it's uh Mayor Jacob Fry in in Minneapolis, uh, some of these absolutely uh helpless uh, and hapless uh, local politicians who did nothing to go and shut this down by no president Trump was pretty frustrated the DOJ for um, allowing these cities to be completely uh, taken over and so uh, yeah he 's probably frustrated that he didn't didn 't take stronger action, and uh, he listened to some of the the ineffective lawyers come up with excuses why they couldn't do anything. Um I think that's a uh for anyone who had their businesses upended who were harmed uh, in some of these protests or uh, had their their property destroyed, uh, they're probably pretty still pretty angry about what happened. So January 6th,
0: last question is you've laid out uh, an argument here that the White House had no anticipation of the events of January 6th that the events on January 6th, were untethered to the election fraud conspiracy efforts in the months before. And we can agree to disagree on whether that's so or not. But there will be testimony asked of a lot of people about these very events. And do you think the president, the former president, will testify, even if it's behind closed doors, before the special committee to set the record straight or to uh, offer his view of what was going on in those two hours in the, in the run up to January 6th on the day of January 6th. Wouldn't it think it's a uh, look, I'll I'll, I'll let him to say that.
1: Now, I'll leave it to the President Trump decide what he's going to do as far as, I mean, I certainly wouldn't, uh, go and testify. I think that's a pretty, uh, slippery slope. I mean, you could easily pivot and go say, okay, let's go and, uh, um, uh, haul former President Obama back in under Republican Congress and say you need to answer questions about whether it be, uh, Benghazi or fast and furious or the, uh, the pallets of cash to Iran or any of the other agreements. No, Jason, thought. I'm
0: not, I'm not saying that he should honor a subpoena if it came. What I'm saying is, wouldn't he want to? As you said, January 6th will, for better or for worse, define his presidency. Wouldn't you want to, if you're him, go in voluntarily and say, you have this wrong, let me tell you my side of January 6th?
1: I think that, uh, you know, Michael, what I'd, I'd respectfully say is I, I think that with regard to that, I think you're a little bit too much of an idealist. Uh, and what I, what I mean is that there, there's no scenario, uh, in which president, that anything that President Trump says in front of a Democratic Congress and Democratic Senate will be anything other than, um, uh, a, a partisan cluster, you know what? Um, everybody's going to be out trying to make their press release. We'll have the, the Eric Swalwells and my good buddy Jerry Nadler um, and uh, Adam Schiff and everyone trying to score political points and figure out what office or what TV deals they're going to get next. There's uh, These things are, as we saw from both uh, impeachment witch hunts, uh, these uh, anything in Capitol Hill uh, just turns into a, a complete, do you wear a red jersey or do you wear a blue jersey? there's there's no such thing as a scenario um uh, in which there's going to be some uh some uh, honest exchange of ideas i think that's pretty sad i think really in my opinion it's probably been like that for most of the last 25 years uh, uh maybe some people would say it's always been like that but uh, at least since the at least since the 90s uh i think unfortunately there's uh, that's uh, to think there would ever be some kind of um, uh, actual, hey, here's a chance for someone to go and say what they thought or what was going on. It immediately goes to who's going to get their pound of flesh, who's going to get their press release, who's going to then go and sprint down to uh, 400 North Cap to to try to get uh, in studio to be on CNN or to get to the MSNBC set, or even on the Republican side to go to Fox News uh, and say that uh, here's why the Democrats are bad. It's just a it's a um, a republic you know Republicans versus Democrats, uh, and that's all it's going to be. So uh, that's, that's where I'd say, it, you know, you can't be too much of an idealist on this.
0: Okay, I'll, I'll try my best. So, <laughs> Jason, thanks so much for joining me. It's been a most interesting conversation.
1: All right, thanks, guys. Good to be with you.
0: That Said is produced by Compro and the Museum of Public Relations. Theme music by Sam Post. Please let us know your thoughts by writing to us at that said zeldin at gmail dot com. Thanks so much for listening. For that said, I'm Michael Zeldin.